So it's a big day for football. And someone asked me yesterday, Father, who are you rooting for? I said, oh, that's a very simple answer. I'm always for the underdog, right? The sinners. I'm for the sinners. The saints may win, but I'm for the sinners. Yeah. They're the underdog. The sinners in life. And there's hope for sinners. Because they can win. They can always win with the grace of Christ. That's so important for all of us to know that we're all winners because our head coach is God made man in Jesus. It doesn't get any better than that. That's the winning team always. So welcome to this beautiful day in the life of our faith in which once again in the paradox of faith we say, oh happy fault O necessary sin of Adam, that gained for us so wonderful a Redeemer. Had it not been for the sin, there could be no saint. So sinners make for saints. That's why that's my preferred team. And it should be yours too. Now, if you asked your children or anyone what makes for a happy life? What makes for the good life? You probably will hear a number of opinions. The happy life is putting all your talents to the best you can, all your skills. Make the best of life that way, and you'll be happy. Or. Make sure you meet the right people in life because it's not what you know, but who you know. That'll make you happy. They'll give you opportunity and open doors for you. Another opinion might be, go out there and make the world a better place for your children and grandchildren. Make a contribution that way. That'll make you happy. Or eat, drink, and be merry. Get as much out of the day as you can. Carpe diem, we say. Seize the day. Enjoy, relax, have a good time. Life is short. That'll make you happy. And there might be any other, another opinion or two along with that. Now, there's some truth in each one of those. Let's not demean it and say, oh, that isn't true. No, there's a lot of truth in all of that. But all of that, even combined, will always pale by comparison to what we know will satisfy us and make us happy.
in this life and as a pledge and promise for the next. And that is to come in this life to know, to love, and to serve God in this life that we might do most perfectly in the next. How many remember your Baltimore Catechism? Raise your hands. Right. Why did God make me? Very simple. Not to go out and make the world a better place, important as that is. Not to put all my skills and talents to good use for the sake of a self-improvement program and doing good to others. Not bad. In fact, it should be encouraged more. Not to eat, drink, and be merry, although enjoy the things of life. Why not? God gave us all of that. See, we teach our children to put things in the right way, in the right perspective. And so to know, to love, and to serve God with all my heart, with all my strength, with all my mind, isn't that what Jesus says? I mean, the Baltimore Catechism is really a reflection of the gospel. That's just not made up by the church as man-made doctrine. That's what our Lord is saying. You want to be happy? Serve me. You want to be joyful? Know me, follow me, love me. To know, to love, and to serve God in this life that I might do most perfectly in the next. Very simple. We just make it so complicated. Why do we do that? Why do we make things so complicated? Because we get confused about the most important things. And we esteem other persons, places, and things as either equally as important as our relationship with God, on a par with God, or we substitute them. And this can happen kind of unconsciously. We begin to make persons, places, and things our gods. We don't say that, we don't mean that, but that's essentially what happens. We make them idols, idolatry. And it's not that we intend to do this, as I said. It just happens sometimes when we get caught up in persons, places, and things, and begin to make them the end of life. All these persons, places, and things that we love, and we have good reason to love them, they are but means to the end. They're not ends in themselves. God gave us nature to enjoy, but nature is not God. It's awesome, we say, it's beautiful, it's powerful, majestic, it's ancient, it seems eternal. It's mysterious and wonderful, but it's not God. And everything we have in our lives 
as beautiful as they are, our homes and our, our friends, our family, our loved ones, they're not God. In fact, they're means. That sounds so strange to our ears, but friends, all of that, my husband, my wife, my children, my grandchildren, my mother, my father, all my loved ones, my job, my, all these persons, places, and things are means to glorify God. They're not ends in themselves. I know a little girl that didn't find what I was saying to her very helpful when I said, you know, I know you love your dog, and a dog is a beautiful animal, but a dog is not God. And so there'll come a time when you may have to say goodbye to your dog. She said, no, no, my dog is very special. You don't understand. I can't be without my dog. I said, I know, but your dog is not God. She said, well, in a way he is. You know how children can do that. I said, well, how is he like God? Or how is he God? Well, he's God spelled backwards. <laughs> so sweet. It's hard for children to understand what I'm saying. It was hard for the disciples to understand because in their context, wow, for the ancient Jew, all of these presences of power and places and things that were beautiful were a manifestation of God's presence. But things get confused and confusing when we make them gods. And then we can't let go. Jeremiah is telling us so much in that first reading today. He's talking about the distinction between someone who's blessed and someone who's cursed. And he says in that reading that the blessed one is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted beside water, stretches out its roots to the stream, and fears not the heat. It always stays green. In the year of the drought, it shows no distress, but bears fruit all the time. That's a great blessing, that no person, place, or thing can ever come close or substitute for God in Jesus Christ. It's very simple, and it's good for us each day when we get up to remind ourselves of that, that truth. Why was I made? To know, to love, and to serve God in this life that I might do most perfectly in the next. And St. Paul says as much in the second reading today. If for this life only we have hoped, then we are the most pitiable of all. If we've put all our hope, all our eggs in the basket of the world, and it's so easy to get caught up in that, in the drama, in the politics, in the events of the world, and our whole day, our discussion, our thinking, our anxiety is all about that. No question that our minds and hearts go out to Ukraine at this very hour in these days. We begin to see history repeat itself over and over in so many different ways. We don't learn our lessons from the past. We sleep 
while the Trojans enter. All these stories, they cause us to get caught up, and that's okay as long as, again, as Jeremiah is saying in St. Paul, in God we trust. This was what got the martyrs through the early centuries of the church. Can you imagine what they had to put up with, what they had to endure? Many of them did recant and return to their old gods and save their lives, save their heads. But others didn't. They had their hope firmly rooted in Christ. And because of that love of God, that desire to know, love, and serve God, and that everything else would pale by comparison, persons, places, and things of the world, they were able to let go of their lives. So I think once we get this perspective with our Creator grounded firmly, and that becomes the perspective of my daily life, then I can let go of whatever that person or place or thing that consumes me, that calls my attention way too much, that draws my energy and all my spirit away from me. No. Our Lord knew that so well when these situations occurred and he found it just overwhelming, he, he would walk away. He often walked away. He walked right through their midst, we're told, and walked away. And he just said, I'm not going to let you guys consume me. It's important to let go. And important to let go as a preparation for the ultimate letting go of life, which is death. I've shared with you before a little story not long ago. I was called to give last rites to a woman at Sibley Hospital nearby. And I was told that she was gravely ill, so I went and had to suit up in all the stuff that you have to go through, the protocols. It took me about 45 minutes just to get suited up for this event. I mean, much longer than putting vestments on. And rightly so. And I walked into her room and her children were all there. This woman was in her elderly 90s and they were crying and putting a wet cloth on her head and stroking her hand and whimpering, looking at her eyes and saying, Mom, hang in there, don't go. We love you, don't die, don't die, don't die. All this drama. I understand. They love their mother. She said, Father, I, I want to go to confession. Girls, you'll have to step outside. Okay, Mom, but we're, we're right here. We're not going far. So I heard her confession, anointed her, gave her Holy Communion, and she got this beautiful smile on her face. She looked over the course of those minutes. I know it wasn't the case, but she started looking younger. Color returned to her face and her eyes glistened. And she said to me, do I have permission to go now? Can I go? I said, sure, you, you can go anytime you want. You're ready. And with that,
nurses run in, family runs in. Oh my God, you, you killed her. I said, I didn't kill her. I said, you've been killing her for years, draining her life, holding on to her out of love. No, you're being selfish. No, I really didn't say that. <laughs> but I wanted to. Right? Let her go. Let her go. Gosh. No, it's mine. Mom is not God. I know she might be God to you, but she's not. She's a child of God. And she was born and lived and died to know, to love, and to serve the Lord our God. So let her go. Naturally, of course, when I got home, I called my lawyer. Because <laughs> these days, you can't be too careful. Right? So you get the point. You get the point. And in all of life, even if you cannot come to know, love, and serve him with all your heart, don't worry too much. Do you know why? Because this is the only religion, the only religion, I'll repeat that, in the history of mankind in which the revealed God has chosen freely to come and desires to know, to love, and to serve you with all his heart, with all his mind, with all his strength. Even in the moment of his death, our Lord continued to love them, to serve them. It's amazing. And even now, at every Mass, he comes to know you, to love you, and to serve you with all his heart, with all his mind, with his very being, in body and blood. Isn't that amazing? So we're on the winning team, friends. All of us sinners. I and you together. We're on the team that will always win if we put hope in the Lord and come to know, love, and serve him in this life that we might do most perfectly in the next. Congratulations. <laughs>